The Giles Files is sponsored by BetterHelp. Affordable, professional online therapy from any device, text, chat, and video. BetterHelp offers licensed therapists who are trained to listen and help you. Join the 2 million plus people who have taken charge of their mental health with a BetterHelp therapist. And here's a special offer for Giles Files listeners. Get 10% off your first month at betterhelp.com slash gilesfiles. That's betterhelp.com slash gilesfiles. And thanks again to BetterHelp for sponsoring this podcast. It's the Giles Files Season 3. More Bafo shows, that's a guarantee. Nancy Giles and producer Nancy Wyatt, we got opinions we ain't keeping quiet on the Giles Files Season 3. Yes. There he is. <laughs> Ari. Doing. What's Hi. up? I'm just happy to see you. Oh, that's so nice of you. Look at him cleaning his camera. Well, we'll try. Now, I don't know. Do you guys only do audio or does is the video go somewhere at some point? You all know Ari Melber as the award winning host of MSNBC's The Beat with Ari Melber. But we know him as our pal Ari, who gives slam and parties, the kind with that perfect mix of yummy food, an open bar, A list guests, and badass music. But just so you don't forget, Ari has got some serious creds. Nance, you want to take it away and start with all the cool stuff we found out about Ari? <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, you're known as this great master interviewer. You have many accolades for your skills, a 2020 Emmy for Outstanding Line Interview. Columbia Journalism Review says his veins appear to contain ice water. He betrays no emotion at all during intense exchanges. Peter Weiner, New York columnist, says outstanding interviewer among the best on TV. You have the longest running show on NBC, MSNBC at the six o'clock slot. True. A, a slot been... formerly inhabited by Tucker Carlson on MSNBC at six. Hard to believe, but that Isn't is absolutely it? right. Yeah. In 2020, you were number one in the ratings in that slot with 2.6 million viewers, topping CNN and Fox. Woo! So with that said, what's the first thing on your Twitter or Instagram uh, bio? Just, you know. Well, my Instagram, I think, is more fun. Okay. Let me, I'm, I'm going to look to get it right, you know. All right. <laughs> Instagram says, uh, Emmy-winning journalist, host of the beat, in the streets like Sesame. <laughs> which is a great young MA line. I don't know if you know Nicely her. done. Uh, Nicely done. She's a, but I just, I always love that. It's so short, but like... <laughs> It's such a funny line. It's, a, it's so good. Um, and I have a, a bird emoji after it to signify Big Bird. Oh, <laughs> oh my God. And then it says uh, newsletter, arimelber.com. Anyone okay. can sign up for my free newsletter at arimelber.com, US. Right. And the right. Twitter one's probably very similar, but, uh, but you know, Twitter's all people are real serious on Twitter now. Ah, uh, you know, whatever. Yeah, it just says, it's just titles. So it just says the beat NBC analyst, MSNBC, the chief legal correspondent. And that's all it says. Oh, okay. And a link to our YouTube page where you can see the latest stuff. Because so that's like a vibe, right? Twitter's right. like, everyone's all, you know, people are just hopped up. Yeah. Twitter's like, I feel like Twitter, you're always, anytime you show up, and I'm like, I don't care what time it is, you're, you're 10 minutes into somebody else's argument. 
That's what it always is. It's like, you don't know what I said before. And you're just like, all right, all right, all right. Okay. You guys doing this all night? I know. Uh, check, right. check my thread. You got to look at my thread <laughs> to really see. I know. Oh, believe me. I've been to rooms where like each person talks for a long ass time. Right? Because it's like eight professors. And that's how they talk. And you realize, and then if it's your turn, if you talk too short, everyone's like looking at you like you're dumb. And I'm like, I'm not dumb. I just don't take as long as you guys, right? Yeah. Then I, and some things are, I mean, Albert Einstein said, everything should be as simple as possible, but never more so. Mm. I see Malcolm X behind you because we're talking podcasts through video. Mm. There's not a doubt in my mind that X would be on TikTok if he were here now. Really? Not a doubt in my mind. On TikTok? I can't, I can't prove it obviously, but not a doubt. Yeah, and MLK was in the Birmingham jail trying to write a letter so people would hear about it. That was what the letter was, right? Right, right, right. The le- but the letter was, let me describe these conditions. Let me tell you these facts. Let me tell you my story because he understood that we respond to personal stories more than, than data. Well, if he had a video camera, a phone in, his, in the jail cell, he would be doing it that way. And then it would go up on all the platform. Of course, why wouldn't it? And then he'd be like, yep. you know me, I'm an honorable law abiding reverend known for peace and love why am i in this prison today what is that wow. who's wrong am right. i is it, am i wrong because sometimes the person in the prison is wrong sometimes the system catches the bad guy and puts him in prison and sometimes it abuses it right so if he's in there going these are the bars this is me of course it would be on tiktok oh right my goodness sure and yeah you know what i think about malcolm x i could see him doing a tiktok that said by any means necessary period mm-hmm. out you know into something else mm-hmm. um yeah so like fast like yeah you yeah. know yeah yeah um well, and did, did Kanye not say, I'm the fly Malcolm X by any genes necessary? Sacrilegious. <laughs> but a funny bar. But a funny bar by any genes necessary. I know, I know. Gee whiz. One thing I wanted to ask you, Ari, is there any um, dream get of a person living or not living that you wow. would love to interview? Well, in terms of now, mm-hmm. uh, I think Chief Justice Roberts is, would be such a fascinating interview. Uh, he doesn't really do TV news interviews, but if, if you're asking about dreams, like, yeah, I mean, you think about his role in the court, the way the court's changing, the Trump era. I just think that would be so interesting. I'd love to interview Jay-Z, who's like my favorite rapper and artist. Um, and I think that would be also an interesting exchange. We talked about Ye, I mean, Depends what day you get him, but he can be an interesting interview and also sometimes not. Mm-hmm. But if you got him on the right day with a dialogue um, and given that I, as you heard me say, like I have thoughts about him, I think that that interaction, that dialogue could be really interesting, you know? Um, I mean, all time as an exercise, you know, you think about people like uh, Maya Angelou, Nina Simone, mm. Thurgood Marshall, um, historical figures. I mean, are we going back to say, you know, Marcus Aurelius? Marcus Aurelius was a Roman emperor and philosopher during the second century AD. You know, like I read meditations and I was like, this guy was really on one. Like mm-hmm. he's so intense and ridiculous. I, I feel like if you knew Marcus Aurelius, he'd be like that really ridiculous friend of yours with like, <laughs> yeah, like- the creatine shake. <laughs> And the weird, like, he's like, I got my steps in today. I'm about to go wrestle a tiger. Like, but Man, I love did you, you guys. Did you talk to Marcus today? That kind of thing. <laughs> yeah. And he was so hardcore about 
like honor duty family the, the yeah, only thing that's I missing like that. in meditations is like joy like there's no joy and fun and mm-hmm. i don't know if you interviewed him or met him like as a historical figure would that you never know like they say that like martin luther king had a sense of humor that would come out oh. other ways you know and, and so did malcolm x they were funny yeah. guys they were yeah, really the charisma so uh so i'd be curious about that um but you know someone like him and then i think you can go back to like you know when they talk about top five mcs dead or alive it's like are we gonna do like moses jesus <laughs> king, da- king david mm-hmm. confucius oh confucius you know that confucius interview that goes <laughs> yeah, that takes a year oh my god. for me oh my god <laughs> so i mean i've never no people have asked me before about alive i've never thought about all through history you know yeah I mean, King David, you're just going to be on some just like real justice type, you know, like real big picture. So I think all of that would be, that's funny to think about. Nancy, you want to do some of the quick round things? Uh, Sure. We like to do lightning questions. Love it. Just for fun. Don't think about it too hard. It's it. Either or. Right. Steak or pasta? Pasta. Ah, interesting. I love steak, but I have pasta because I eat a lot of pasta, to be honest. Okay. Um, the Partridge family or the Osmonds? Partridge family. Right on, Ari. Right okay. on. Okay. <laughs> Nance? Travis Scott or Kanye? Kanye. Mm-hmm. Do you want Kanye, to say Kanye is a beleaguered and reviled figure who is wrong about many things. Um, <laughs> but has proven and demonstrated uh, that he is one of the most talented, adaptable, and prodigious artists of our time. And I do believe uh, that if we don't destroy the earth in the future, he will be looked upon more like the Van Gogh or the Picasso that he aspires to be than the way he is viewed today. And paradoxically, I do believe that his blackness, which he, in his own words, does not always fully embrace the way that other, many other black American leaders in hip hop and politics do, is is also part of why he is so undercounted. So I know that's uh, not the take that everyone has, but, but I really believe that. And as evidence, I mean, he's, he's made some of the most masterful modern albums. I think Dark Twisted Fantasy is probably one of the best albums in hip hop. And, and, and that means something even apart from someone's politics or other irresponsibility or even their personal misconduct because we can look at great art as art. And then on top of that, we don't have 50 black billionaires in America no, or 25 or 10. We have eight as a current count. And there are structural reasons for that, right? The history of slavery, racism, and Jim Crow is what has depressed and prevented all these people who are equal and creative from from being rightfully compensated for what they can build uh, or prevented from building what they can build, right? So if we know that structurally, okay, then who are these billionaires? Okay, Michael Jordan, right? Mm Jay-Z, now Rihanna, Oprah. Mm -hmm. Most of those individuals, and this is not a judgment, this is an observation, spend a lot of time working with the power structure, the financial structure, which is overwhelmingly white. 
the fact that Kanye is the only person on that list, I would argue, who actually was like, I'm not meeting anybody halfway and I'm not sucking up to all these white billionaires. and I'm not doing that. And that's notable. People can make up their own minds about the other things, but like, that's pretty striking. And I just think that's so undercounted. Wow. And I haven't even mentioned the fact that he does have publicly acknowledged mental health challenges. Mm -hmm. Then you factor that in and you go, you know who else had mental health challenges? Van Gogh. Yes, how do I know did. that? Right. Because he cut his ear off. You know, how many, how many people who just online are just slamming him as the worst and they believe in their minds that he's worthless. I'm not a big money person. That's not my motivation, but I'm like, I mean, he built a multi-billion dollar company and that's in his third career because he did music production as a beat maker successfully for Jay-Z and Rockefeller and all that. Wanted to rap and as the documentary on Netflix shows, which I recommend anyone. No, you can't rap. You're not allowed to rap. Hmm. You're not a good rapper. That's what all the people in music said. You're not a good rapper. People don't want to listen to your lyrics. You need to keep making beats for other people. Then he comes out and has the number one rap record, right? Then he wants to go into fashion. And what do all the, like, again, I don't want to, you know, there are, and by, by the way, Virgil, may he rest in peace, is someone that Kanye nurtured and tutored in fashion. Virgil Abloh was the first African-American artistic director of Louis Vuitton. All these people, a lot of white European people in fashion, not all, but a lot said, no, no, you can't come into this space. What do you know about this? Uh, and he has a multi-billion dollar fashion company. I'm not even interested in fashion personally, but I am interested in the artistic mindset to just punch through that. There, that's, you got me ranting on Kanye. Was it Kanye who uh, kind of got you into this love of hip hop? So my, the first album that I really remember being obsessed with was, uh, the Fuji's the score. Uh, and I just remember that like hooked me in. Okay. But I went to Garfield High School in Seattle, which is Quincy Jones School, Jimi Hendrix. So it has a rich musical culture and it's Ooh. a big like public magnet school, diverse school. And so that was like what was going on. So also I'm interested in a lot of different genres, mm -hmm. but at my high school, yeah, hip hop was it. And everybody was just, that was like the vibe at the dances. And that's what we were talking about. We were comparing and talking about lyricists and MCs. Like that was just it. So to me, that was just like second nature. That's why it's always funny when you're into something and then people have their react. They, some people bring their reaction to it, right? Right. Like how right. can you be into this based on your identity? <laughs> it's just like, right. And if you flip that and think about the reverse, when people to me are like, it's so, it's so wild over here. <laughs> white Jewish lawyers were really into hip hop. It's like, okay, well, we're making, we're making categorical ceilings, right? And the flip of those doesn't work very well. So mm. it's like, I can't believe this young, a black immigrant from Ghana is a doctor. Who would have thought? And it's like, yeah. slow down, mm -hmm. dog. Mm -hmm. You've given me some, some education on, on, uh, on Kanye. I gotta like, you know, it's, it's waking yeah. me up a bit. <laughs> Nancy. <laughs> Nancy, Nancy W, are you more into Kanye? A lot more than she is. Well, I will say this. Kanye did a performance after his mom passed away at the Grammys and he sang that song, Mama. And that, yeah. that yeah. I broke down, that was beautiful. And mm -hmm. you know, in the words of um, Grandmaster Flash and the Furious Five, it's like a jungle sometimes. It makes me wonder how I keep them going better. Hey, so there it that. is. Okay, <laughs> okay, all right. Okay, all right. <laughs>
the beat with Ari. Like, we want to get all in your business. What time do you get up? What do you have for I breakfast? I mean, it's, bre it's breakfast with Snoop. It's, you know, eggs over easy. Uh, <laughs> then it's like a, a walk with Tiana Taylor. We do speed walking. Okay. <laughs> Lunch. I try to go a little more like throwback energy, you know? <laughs> Like Gary Clark Jr., John Batiste, uh, you know, uh, so maybe soul food, maybe we keep it healthy, but like that's, <laughs> you know, then around one or two, no, I'm kidding. Those are all jokes for the pod. <laughs> but uh, I mean, the way we run prep for the beat is, right, the show's on at 6 p.m. live every night. So you have this constant countdown. So we have a morning call. We look at where we're talking through the stories and the guests and what do we need to add or subtract. Mm -hmm. So depending on the day, right, and half the show is kind of in, in pieces and you're talking through the rest and what's the news, right? And then other days might be wide open. And then as we all know, uh, then you have stuff where you do that once and then for breaking news, you you throw it out and, and plan something else and go keep going from there. And the ultimate breaking news is like, you're in the chair, something happens, you turn to that and you're covering it and adding guests as you go, right? And so that's like the best quote from Lauren Michaels from Saturday Night Live is like, we don't go on because we're ready. We go on because it's Saturday night. <laughs> wow. And I was like, that's kind of, right. And so it's, and it's a funny thing mentally that, because I always say like, like with breaking news, the prep is whatever you already did and know, because now you're just out there. But yeah. that could be in a, you know, then you say you compare that to like prepping all day or all week for something because you had the time. And so the Lauren Michaels thing, sometimes you have more time and sometimes you don't, and you need both parts of your mind ready, right? Um, and one difference with the beat that I think people who watch regularly might know is we don't just do day of stuff. And I hope that shows. So some days it might be all breaking news. You're like, well, obviously the day of, cause you couldn't have prepped that. Right. right. And then, I mean, we recently did a special report looking at Zelensky and his history as an actor and sort of art artistic figure in Ukraine and looked at the show where he ran to become president as the character. And then, mm. And then that became the name Servant of the People. The show is the name of his political party. That's a piece we worked for many days on with the tape and the translation and this and that, right? So sometimes when I'm like up there, I'm going, oh, special report, this and that. That's also part of my day, but I have to grab that time wherever I can because it might right. be like, yeah, we're prepping for six. And I got to grab a few hours over here to write something else, you know? And I have to compliment you on what you just said about covering stories that aren't just the breaking news because... In all honesty, sometimes I even get frustrated with MSNBC where there's, I understand there's a big news story and everybody covers the, that one news story. Other things happen in the world, even when, you know, when the war in Ukraine is going on or when Katanji Brown Jackson is, is being nominated and being harassed. I, I appreciate seeing other things as well. That's something you do bring to the table that I like. Thank you. That's the thing with my job is like, I will just, look in i'm looking out to the america or whatever you want to call it and i'll say like so this is important and you might remember two years ago everyone was talking about it but this is all still happening right that's and right. i'll just that's that's the news hook when they teach you in like i didn't go to journalism school but when in traditional media right they teach you like what's the news hook and you quote unquote need it and you kind of do sometimes i'm not going to say you never do but i think it's overstated if you built a show or a, a platform where you have an audience the news hook is you saying sometimes this is true and important. Are there any stories or people you would not cover? Hmm. I think that we have to have a really 
open mind towards understanding things. So even when you think to yourself, well, I'm not sure this is a story or I'm not sure this person is worth hearing, that might be an understandable human thought, which should not be the final decision of the journalism. So we can definitely come up with lines. I mean, yeah, if there's a story that is completely false and the only, the only reason you'd mention it is to debunk it, sometimes you say, well, we're not even gonna debunk it because we might give it more attention or oxygen than it otherwise already has. Um, but that is a moving target because the lawyer in me would say, well, that, that's not a standard, that's a perception. So I, I, I think about it much more in terms of how do you make sure people understand the facts, the context, and why we're discussing something on the news rather than line drawing. And I think line drawing can be really emotionally satisfying, which is why we hear about online sometimes. Well, let's just boot that person forever. Now, I think we all can think of people where like that might be what we would prefer. I, I'm not saying you never have that feeling, but journalism is different than how you run your life. That's the whole point. And so when people say, oh, I want to turn that off, my view is right. Sometimes you turn off the internet or you turn off the TV or whatever, but, but the stuff should be out there somewhere. Um, but, you know, so that, that's how I think about it, sort of how we do the stories. Is that a difficult balance for you as a human being? Because I know you a little bit and you're a moral, truth-telling, regular-speaking guy. And when something is a blatant lie that gets out there and reporting on the lie, like you said, helps give it weight, is that hard on you? I mean, the stories that bother me the most are the ones where there's something left to deal with. There's something forward-looking. So we're dealing with something where there's an ongoing injustice or a problem or whatever. And I'm going, oh, I'm not sure that we uh, met the challenge. Mm. Um, my vibe about that is, well, I have the kind of job where like I'm back at it the next night. So that's where I put that energy. But yeah, no, I definitely sometimes feel that way. Mm. Which to, to your point, I don't feel good sometimes about it. When we don't feel we did it as, as, as good as possible, or maybe we tried and then afterward you looked and you go, man, I'm not even sure we should have done that at all. Like, yeah, does that bother me? Yes. Tony Schwartz famously co-authored The Art of the Deal. He says Trump is using these attacks not by appealing to truth or logic, but appealing to voter fantasies and the desire to see a partisan witch hunt. Mr. Schwartz arguing that Trump's approach works chiefly because of an actual scientific phenomenon known as confirmation bias. What do you mean by this confirmation bias? Confirmation bias, which runs across every ideology, is the instinct to see new information as confirming what you already believe. One of my favorite guests that you've had uh, on a lot that helped me during this horrific Trump administration, the man who co-wrote The Art of the Deal. Um, Tony Schwartz. Tony Schwartz. You had a really great rapport with him, and you Tony's were right there in the in the front seat of all of that history. And Tony was able to like clarify and really prove, in my opinion, that there was a madman at the helm. Well, Tony's one of those people who are like, and I say this with all love. If you ran into him like at a at a party or a concert, the stuff he's saying without without the credibility behind it, you'd be like, okay, buddy. <laughs> like it's like. <laughs> He's like, you know, I specialize in, in, in people's management of their personal energy. And I'm like, cool, that's cool, dog. That's cool. Okay, I'm going to go get a beer. Like, nice really? to meet energy, energy manager, Tony. You know, like, it's that kind of, and, and that's one. Like, there's many examples like that. But the truth is, 
he founded this company uh, that works with workplace energy and interaction. I think he was years ahead of his time in the sense that some of that, those conversations are happening more, you know, mm -hmm. about how do we really treat people and each other and how do we manage people's energy and what's the, all, because his point is like, other than family and, and life, personal life, most people in a capitalist economy from, you know, about 18 to 65 or more mm -hmm. are spending all, a lot of their day's energy is interacting with people in a workplace setting. And how do we do that? And his mm -hmm. point to companies was basically, you can actually do it better in a way that builds productivity and morale. Okay. The background is he's a published writer and a thinker, and he was at New York Times. And then on top of all that, he spent this time with Donald Trump writing The Art of the Deal, which he regrets, uh, which he's spoken publicly about. We've got some concerns and questions about Trump. Like, I mean, is he ever going to get arrested? What, what do you, what's your take on that? I mean, I think I can give you the legal answer and the broader answer. The legal Please. answer is the things that have been under investigation do not look like they're heading towards indictment. Uh, New York has sort of paused or slowed the financial case, which did indict his money man, a CFO, Weisselberg, and, and does have other exposure, but has not reached him. And then the election-related cases, Georgia, which builds off the phone call to the top elections official there about find me votes, which is him right. demanding voter fraud, right? They talk a lot about voter fraud, but he's the one asking for 11,000 plus fraudulent votes. That's voter fraud, right? Mm -hmm. It's on tape. Uh, that and the related issues around the insurrection uh, also do not look like they're going towards indictment. I could change, I could be wrong, but that's how that's going. And so I think the reasons for that um, are both structural and personal. Uh, structurally, America has never really dug into prosecuting former presidents ever. Now you say, well, this is a different guy and it's worse. And we all saw the sixth. Okay. Um, but structurally that has just been the way it's been built. And that when they're in office, we have this funny system that says they can't actually be indicted in office, which is kind of, when you think about it, quirky, that's like a, you know, law school type exam issue. And then when they're out of office that we say no person's above the law, but that's been the structure. The personal side is more interesting to Donald Trump, which is, I always tell people, prosecution's not about crime. It's about evidence. Mm. Most crimes are not prosecuted. People in the law, they don't like to talk about that because it sounds like they don't want to, a lot of people feel like a fidelity to the law. So like, they don't want to like say stuff that kind of foments anarchy, which I get, because you don't want to like tell people, come, you don't want to like tell the nation's youth like, most people actually most people get away with it oh and good yeah exactly mm -hmm. now habitual criminals tend to get busted that's why like if you look at the mafia you look at gang related activity large drug cartels there's a lot of examples of people getting in trouble and then the mafia puts in a new capo and then he gets in trouble so again habitual criminals is a little different but the idea that like yeah if somebody runs out and does one random crime and they're not a habitual criminal yeah that that stuff doesn't often get prosecuted so Trump is such a glaring example that it's obviously uh, outrageous to many people. But when I go back to evidence, in a lot of other companies, if there's a number one person that's running the company and the company is doing crime and the uh, subordinate person gets in trouble, the first thing that happens is they go, I, I work, I just work, I feel bad now. I work here. Can I tell you about the rest of it? That's how that happens. That's what happened with Enron. So it happens with big, you know, 
criminal cases. That's standard. That's why they put the pressure on. They always squeeze, right? The fact that these people are squeezed and most of them don't turn on him, right? That has to do with evidence. Now, you, it's unfair. It's outrageous. Also, as a lawyer and a journalist, I will say if it's possible that those people were acting alone and that he wasn't directing them, if that's possible, I'm open to that evidence. But the evidence has generally run the other way, that these crimes, these, I should say, indicted alleged crimes at, right. at Trump Org were for the benefit of Trump Org which is a personally held corporation. There's nobody else in charge. It's Donald Trump's company. Mm -hmm. The crimes are done to enrich the corporation. He is the owner of the corporation. So there's a lot of evidence that points to him, but if you can't get the CFO or whoever to flip on him, then that makes it a tough case. And so again, people get frustrated, but yeah, what does that case look like? You bring that case to trial? Well, first of all, a lot of prosecutors wouldn't, but if you did hypothetically, they call up the CFO. And he says on the stand, yeah, I did some of this and that. I didn't think it was illegal, but Trump, Donald didn't know about any of it. Well, CFO saying the guy wasn't in on it under oath, even if, you know, you can say, you can conclude that he was lying. You don't have to take his evidence testimonially as true. But is that a reasonable doubt? I would argue if you remove all the names, that is a reasonable doubt for most people, unless, the guy, unless you really are just convinced he's a liar, right? unless it's like the Joker giving the testimony, you know, like, I don't trust that guy with the face paid and the whole thing, but, um, and that's how these cases go down. So again, I'm not telling you any of this is, per is perfect. Um, and, the, and the hesitance to prosecute people who are formerly in office or the former president, uh, I think is misplaced because I think it, will, it invites and tempts further coups. You know, we got through the last attempted coup. Um, but yeah, that's my, again, I'm not, I'm not telling it like how, you know, I'm not saying it how it might want to sound. I'm just saying right. how I think it is. Yeah, no, it's it's hard to hear. I don't get why he he gets so much loyalty from people. I'm joined now by the former Amazon employee, Christian Smalls, who led this victorious push to unionize today. Uh, Christian, thanks for being here today. Thank you for having me. Appreciate it. Absolutely. Uh, did you find that this was a debate at the warehouse that was on the level? Or do you think Amazon and thus effectively Jeff Bezos, if we're going to talk specifically, um, were funding and interfering in a way that made it not a free and open debate? Of course it wasn't fair. Um, Amazon spends millions of dollars. Uh, There's already been reports that came out. Can we just talk a little bit about uh, Amazon and these, these great oh. kids who, uh, who broke through and got that union formed and Corporate greed, this is something that's really been bothering a lot of people. I mean, I think you just reported a few days ago about Amazon's, um, you know, intercompany emails and how they're banning certain yeah. words from, what the, I love those guys. I love the union guys. What, what's your take on all of that? There's hundreds of thousands of people in basically American style warehouse, you know, not quite a sweatshop, but really tough labor conditions oh really demanding yeah we, we have all these reports of that the, i had christian smalls who's the organizer that right. unionized the the new york location and talked about it he said i i he said when i was working there i told my reports cancel your gym membership don't even think about like working out or doing active stuff on the weekends like you're gonna get you're working out all day so it's kind of like this modern coal miner type thing but it's mm. not always perceived that way and so mm. i do think it matters a lot that this large of an employer has they, they were trying to crack down. As you mentioned, they were trying to limit references to the union on their internal servers. It's not my job 
to tell people whether they should join a union or not, right? But it's certainly the case that people are supposed to have that right to exercise that choice. And a lot of these companies, they spend so much and they do so much to try to block unions because they don't want it to spread throughout their workforce that it doesn't leave people with that meaningful choice, the meaningfully informed choice to make, right? And so you can imagine that it's like anything else. Somebody's working 10 hours a day and then they're commuting and they got a couple of kids and they're just overwhelmed. They're trying to keep up. And at work, someone says, hey, you join this thing. It's, it's going to improve everything. Mm-hmm. And then someone else comes up and says, oh, no, that's a scam. That's fake news. It's actually like we're going to end up making less because we're going to be paying more into the union. And it's bad. Yes. Mm-hmm. And the, a few more people tell them that. And those union busting efforts have, have worked a lot. So mm-hmm. it's not just that they won. It's that they won against that. So this could be the moment to maybe make some changes with that. Workers have more power in some ways than they did. Maybe. Yeah. Yeah. Any more flash questions or we should let him go? Oh, we should let him go. He's got to, I mean, I was going to, this one last flash question, law and order or the new law and order or law and order criminal intent or law and order SVU or law and order organized crime, which one? Original law and order, but I love law and order. It's well I, yeah. I know. It is very yeah, original. prosecutor, but you know, it's art, whatever. I do too. I love criminal um, intent because I love Vincent D'Onofrio and Catherine Irby, but I gotcha. I gotcha. Love it. Um, well, thanks for having me, guys. Thank Ari, you've you been so time. wonderful. Well, that's our show. Thanks to our sponsor, BetterHelp. Join the 2 million plus people who have taken charge of their mental health with a BetterHelp therapist. And remember, as a special offer to Giles Files listeners, you'll get 10% off of your first month if you use the code betterhelp.com slash gilesfiles. That's betterhelp.com slash gilesfiles. And a big thanks to BetterHelp for sponsoring our podcast. Special thanks to the coolest newsman on TV, Ari Melber. Check out Ari Weeknights on The Beat with Ari Melber at 6 p.m. on MSNBC. And you can catch Ari on Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. Yeah, you just try to keep up with him because he posts all the time. And be sure to subscribe to Ari's weekly newsletter at AriMelber.com. Feed your mind, yo! The Giles Files was created by Nancy Giles and Nancy Wyatt. Produced, directed, and edited by Nancy Wyatt. And recorded at our studios in Weehawken, New Jersey. Be sure to check out The Giles Files on iTunes or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And write us a review. Tell us what you think. We want to hear from you. We'll be back next week with another episode of The Giles Files. Okay? Oops. (laughs) A Huda Media Production.